And some of you are going, oh, I just love that hymn. Love those old hymns, love those old gospel hymns. Fountain filled with blood. And some of you who are new are going, oh my gosh, what did we just sing about? What is the fountain filled with blood? That's terrifying. That's crazy talk. What are we doing? This, this is a cult, right? Uh, so I get it. Christians have a weird lexicon. We've got a weird you know, way of talking about blood and things like that. We talk about the blood of Christ, the, the blood of the covenant, the, the blood of this, the blood of that. Um, you know, <laughs> we sing about it too, obviously. What if, um, uh, let's do a little thought, theater, and you, you, you all, do, you, do you check out the movie titles? Like, there was, there was a movie called, There Was a Fountain Filled with Blood. What would just your initial impression of that title lead you to think? Oh, schlocky, you know, low-budget horror movie, right? And some of you, you know who you are. You're like, I'm going next week. I can't wait to see that, you know. Uh, but it's just, it, it's not the way that culture talks. Uh, we don't talk about being washed in the blood and fountains filled with blood and power in the blood and all that. What is up? with the blood, okay? Um, let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, we're going to start with verses uh, 15 to 22. Uh, we'll look at this. Let's stand in honor of God's Word, and, um, and we'll look at the rest of the passage later on in the sermon, but let's start with these verses. This is God's Word. Therefore, uh, he, that is Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was commandment of the law had been declared to Moses to all the people. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the, the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us. But more than that, it reveals to us your will, but more than that, it reveals to us your person. It reveals to us Jesus. And so we pray that we would see him more clearly and understand his work just more personally. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> are, you, uh, are you washed in the blood? <laughs> are you sprinkled by the blood? Does that, is that, does that, is that, do you even have a grid for that? Um, hopefully we'll all appreciate this a little bit better. We're going to talk about the whole um, image and language of sprinkling that, that you see here in, in these verses in chapter 9. Uh, we're going to talk about how uh, other places in the Bible... We'll use expressions like the life is in the blood. What does that mean? Why is that important? We'll, we'll get to that. So uh, if you were with us last week, uh, great. If, if you weren't, a uh, little bit of just kind of context here. So 
through the lens of, of redemption, we understand that God makes a payment, that's a financial term, God makes a payment, satisfying payment is the blood of Christ, that payment satisfies the debt of our sin. Our, our sin puts us in spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus pays that, that debt. Now, um, lots of people, lots of people, including lots of Christians, uh, really don't understand that dynamic of the gospel. They don't understand the value of redemption, what that, why that's significant, because in their mind, and, and just culture's general conception of Christianity, and, and sadly, in a lot of Christians' conception of Christianity, God is sort of pass over our sins, don't pay them any mind, ignore them, essentially. That, that's, that's sort of their understanding, their category of what grace is. Uh, that God just ignores our sin. Um, and, but that's actually not true. That's not what the Bible describes uh, in, when it communicates the gospel because the, the gospel is fundamentally Jesus dying on a cross and rising from the dead. And when he died on the cross, he was paying our sin debt. Um, listen to Al Mohler. And uh, he, he was, uh, wrote a sermon about this. And he, and he wrote that the church today is often impoverished, like you don't want to be an impoverished church, right? But the church today is often impoverished by truncated reductionist articulations of the gospel. We often talk about how someone can come to know the Lord Jesus and be saved from their sins, but we often have no idea what took place for, in order for that promise to be true. We can't honor appreciate and worship God for what he's done for us unless we understand what it costs to achieve our salvation. And that's why it's really important for us to understand what redemption is all about because that is a phrase we come across a lot, especially in Hebrews. Christ died, according to the passage we just read, in order to enact the new covenant. Uh, this death occurred. Look at verse 15. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. A death redeems us from our transgressions. That's the payment. That's the, that's the blood, okay? Um, Acts 20, Paul puts it this way. He's talking to the elders from Ephesus saying, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers with his own blood, with the death of Jesus. So look, when, when you hear blood mentioned in the Bible, the, the blood is the proof. The blood is the evidence that a death has occurred. And that death is what redeems us. Furthermore, that death is what puts this new covenant uh, into place. It enacts the new covenant. Um, and, and do you see at the end of verse 15, if you're looking in your Bible, uh, a lot of you will have a footnote, an asterisk or something. And, and if you look at you know, the, the margin or what that footnote says, it'll tell you, hey, by the way, the word in Greek that we translate covenant also is the word for a will, right? 
And so what that's telling us is that you need to have a death before a will can be enacted, right? So the ransom pays our redemption. And the will gives us an inheritance. Both are enacted through a death. So back to the redemption. Man, the redemption of, of Christ who, who redeems us from our sins is priceless, beautiful, wonderful. It's gospel. It's good news because what that tells us is that our spiritual bankruptcy is paid for. If, if you're in a pile of debt, some of you, you know this personally, if you're in a pile of debt, how do you feel? Suffocating, struggling, anxious, ashamed, guilty, you know, all, all, maybe all of the above. Uh, and then somebody comes along and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay your debt, I'm going to pay your bills, and, and, and you will get you out of debt. Then how do you feel? Elated? Grateful, thankful, celebratory, you know, you got all the feels, but um, let me ask you another question. Financially, what position? Somebody pays all your debts. Financially, how well off are you? Well, let's go, let's review. But before you were in debt and you were broke, right? This is what you had in your pockets? And, and now somebody's paid all your debt, what do you have in your pockets? You're still broke. And this is why we need not just redemption, but an inheritance. We, because Christ died for our sins, he redeemed us through his blood. And then because he died, the will is enacted. Um, this will that gives us an inheritance, the riches of Christ that put into our spiritual bank account all of the righteous riches of Jesus. We are loaded, right? And now how do you feel? How do you feel when, when, when you've been kind of struggling and scraping and getting by week to week, paycheck to paycheck, and some rich uncle you hear from some lawyer, some lawyer's office sends you a letter, and by the way, this rich uncle left you a mountain of money and you're the sole um, inheritor. You're the sole beneficiary. Then you're like, what? That's amazing. And this is really an earthly picture of what's happened. Jesus, who has left us a mountain of his righteousness, a mountain of his riches, all because uh, he, he loves us. This is the inheritance that Peter described according to his great mercy. He has made us, uh, he caused us to be born again uh, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is your inheritance. It can't be taken away. You, you, you can't lose it in Vegas. You can't lose it in, in arbitration or some kind of you know, lawsuit. It's eternally yours. You can't blow it because Jesus gave it to you. It's his gift. You don't earn it. Um, so when you think of the word covenant with a will, and to remember that will is put into effect because in verse 17, it, it, it takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Are you glad Jesus went to the cross now? Yes. He enacted the will. I know we're not used to talking about the will, but it's the same word as I said. 
We love naming our churches, you know, Covenant Presbyterian is our mother church in Harrisonburg. People are happy that it's Covenant Presbyterian. They would not be happy if it was last will and testament PCA. That just it doesn't vibe. So we get covenant. We don't always understand. That's a will. That's a promise from God to give us these riches, to give us what is immeasurably valuable, eternally valuable. What's the most valuable thing you could ever possess? Christ. It's not a thing, it's a person. And that's, isn't that the promise of the covenant? The promise of the covenant that he gives us upon the death of Jesus that guarantees the inheritance, you know, become, the will goes into effect. Well, what do we get? What's our inheritance? Christ. God himself is our possession. The one who, who gives, who's created everything, gives everything value in the first place. He gives himself to us. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the covenant. Because Jesus died and rose again, but because he died, that puts that will, that puts the inheritance into place for us. I'm trying to bring it down to where the cows can eat it, right? I mean, we just need to, what is this all about? What is all the blood about? What is the death about? Well, the blood is the proof of the death. And we need that death because that death redeems us. That death gets our guilt off of us, pays the debt. But we, we need more than that because we're still broke, spiritually speaking, we need righteousness. We need Jesus. We need his, his riches applied to us. And, and, and more than that, we just need him. And he is our treasure. So the, the inheritance is what enriches us. So that's the good news of this, this testament, this will. Um, in verse 19, you know, as, uh, as, the, as Hebrews 9 is telling us, says that when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the bluff and all the people. Uh, what is up with the sprinkling? Um, somebody asked me that right at the beginning of, this, uh, of the service. Like, hey, Essen, tell me about the sprinkling. Well, you're in luck. <laughs> We're kind of talking about that today. Um, that's a good question. And I hope maybe others of you have, have wondered the same thing. Um, Hebrews 9 is referencing... All the way back, second book of the Bible in Exodus 24, where Moses is setting up the tabernacle for the very first time. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. (laughs) That's what it says. He threw it on the people. So he had this hyssop hyssop branch, right? That's what we were, that's what... Hebrews 9 says, he takes the hyssop branch, there's blood and there's water, so it's more liquefied. And then he's, he's kind of doing this with the hyssop branch. So he's throwing it, he's sprinkling it. There's lots of ways to describe what's going on. But he took the blood and he, and he, he threw it on the people and he said, behold, with all these words. Why are, we, why are we sprinkling the people? This is a brand new tabernacle. So you ever bought a brand new house? You ever moved into a brand new house or brand, moved into a brand new apartment with a new carpet and the new paint and everything just smells new. Everything's immaculate. You're almost afraid. You don't wear your shoes in. You know, everybody's super careful. Oh, don't spill anything and so on. Why? Well, because it's brand new. 
We moved into this space in 2009 and look on the walls, they need painting and there's the stain on the carpet. Like, it happens. But who in the world moves into a brand new place and says, I know, let's sprinkle a bunch of blood all over everything because that makes sense. Why? Of the death of that sacrifice applied to me. I need that on me. I need to make that personal. Not just theoretical, but practical. So that sprinkling, you know, in addition to God saying, look, when, when I put that sign of the covenant on you, that sets you apart, um, Israel. You know, you're my people and you're called out of the world. And then church in the new covenant, when you receive the sign of the covenant, you know, Ashwin, all who are baptized, when we receive the sign of the covenant, God is saying, you're my people. You're my sheep. I'm your God and, and, and you belong to me and I'm going to look out for you and I'm going to make these promises to you and, and I'm going to exercise all of my power and authority and dominion for your good, for my glory. And so in the one sense, we realize that when God sprinkles, you know, with the blood, with the water, these, these elements and these people, he's setting them apart to be holy. Um, think of holy in this, not, not in the moral sense right now, but in the positional sense. These are special. They're God's instruments. And he's going to use the, the tabernacle. He's going to use the people for his kingdom purposes in the world. That's us. In the new covenant, location of baptism, sprinkled, poured, dunked, whatever the application of baptism is, that's not what's important. What's important is there's water and there's God's promise. And by the way, the water. Is there anything magical about that? No. I once did a baptism, um, this was years ago, and somebody brought, we got to talk. Yeah, okay, we're good. But there's no power in the water. It's just water. It's kind of dirty water too, by the way. If out of the Jordan, I wouldn't baptize. I, I wouldn't want that. Anyway, um, but, but the power is in the declaration. The power is in God's promise to, to use that sign and, and give it significance, to give it his promise, the backing of his promise. And so um, the, the, we, we sing there's power in the blood, but there's really not. There's power in the promise. There's power in God's blessing. There's power in God setting you apart and using, you know, the, the, the symbol. Does that make sense? And so when Moses sprinkles everything with blood. The brand new tabernacle, no, yes, yes. Because not only does it set it apart, it applies the benefit, the, the significance of the sacrifice of the death to me. We need that significance applied to us. We need the redemption applied to us. We need the inheritance applied to us. This is why Jesus, when, he, when, he, when he's in the upper room on the night he's betrayed and he gathers the disciples together, and, and we do this every month, right? The words of institution, here's the bread, it's my body, do this remembers me, and here's, here's the cup. The new covenant in my blood. 
Moses said, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And so he is the full and final to bring the, his death is the last death that needs to, um, to be enacted in order to bring the new covenant to bear so that we are fully and finally redeemed, so that we have the fullness of the inheritance that is ours through Jesus uniquely. And, and, and as the pinnacle of all of what those Old Testament signs and symbols were pointing to, those were just copies, right? Look at, I'm going to read further now, and you can look in your bulletin or in your Bibles, um, you know, starting verse 23. It says, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not in itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, right? Uh, and we looked at this before. Hebrews has talked about how the earthly things are a copy of the heavenly reality. Um, let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, every week, you know, if you've been around Tabernacle a while, you're used to seeing some new image on the front of our bullets. And we always try to tie in sort of the theme or the message with, with something visual. We, we really want to incorporate all of our senses and, and the entirety of our being as we come before the Lord in worship. So um, I just wanted to put Starry Night on the bulletin. I love this painting. It's a great painting. And it's on your bulletin to make your bulletin look pretty today. Is this worth anything? It's a copy of Van Gogh's Starry Night. If you put this on eBay, if you wanted to... Sell your bulletin. It's a, it's a copy of Van Gogh's Starry Night, everybody. How much do how much you think it's worth? What are you going to get for it? Is anybody going to bid on this? Oh, it's a copy. Speaking of eBay. What would you pay for this copy of Van Gogh's Starry Night? Right? Cool, huh? Lego Van Gogh. Um, I love this. This is, this is my favorite painting, and then Lego put it in Lego, and I, I bought it on eBay and paid some guy, you know, I paid half as much as what you'd buy for new. And it's cool, right? But what if somebody said, hey, um, Essen, I know how much you love Van Gogh's Starry Night. Do you want the original? I, this, this is going in the trash. This has a prized place next to my desk, but it's going in the trash. If I can have the original Van Gogh Starry Night, which hangs in the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art, thousands, maybe millions of people go to New York City to the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art just to see Van Gogh's Starry Night. Do you know how much that pin dollars for the real thing? The copy is worthless. Look, if the temple is a copy or a shadow or a symbol of the real temple, the real sanctuary in heaven, what does that tell us about the purification of the temple? That's a copy too. What's the worth of all of the ways that we try to redeem ourselves or try to cleanse our conscience or try to get right with God, all of the the works that we do, the things that we do, the, the ways that we, we sort of cheapen the gospel by imagining it's up to us to make God happy with us again. Those are copies. They're worthless. What's, 
What's really a treasure to us is the, is the blood that Christ shed and took it with him into heaven. And that blood gets applied to us. The, the benefit of Christ's death is applied to us when we simply put our faith in him. We trust him. And in verse 25, we're going to go on. It says, it was, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters holy places year after year with blood not his own. But then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's why he says it's finished. It's paid in full. There's no more sacrifices needed to redeem us. There's no other death required to give us an inheritance. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the, the, the blood is applied because it is the symbol of the death that occurred. We need the benefit of that death. Uh, the life is in the blood is what the Old Testament tells us. The life of every creature is in its blood. Its blood is life. And this is proof about, about blood in the Bible. If that puts you off, just know it's the proof of a death. It's the proof that what's needed has happened. And when we put our faith in him, those benefits come to us. Now, I know people get uncomfortable when you start talking about a death is required in order to save us. Um, especially when they start hearing like, okay, our, our sin nature means that the wages or what, what's due to us because of our sin is death. People get very uncomfortable when you propose to them that our sin deserves death. And they may be okay with sort of a general um, universal sense in which Jesus died for the world and, and he was a good example or maybe he showed us what love looks like or, or maybe sure collectively the sins of the world required his death. But, but personally, my sins? I'm not that bad of a person. Why do I need Jesus to die for me, right? And maybe the, that, that's a question you've got. If so, that's genuine. So humans, <laughs> as it turns out, we've got this incredible capacity for, for beauty and, and you know, things that are, that are wonderful. And then we also have this incredible penchant for things that are terrible. And our habit is to divide human beings into two categories, the wonderful and the terrible. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who won the Nobel Peace Prize and spent six years in a Russian gulag and wrote about his experience, said that the lean class good and evil, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And okay, maybe it's not through the center of every person. Like, there are some really, really wonderful people. But every single person has a skeleton in his or her closet. And there's some really, really terrible people who somehow still remember to send their mom a birthday card. We're complicated. Simultaneously, 
wonderful and terrible, right? And so what that means is that it doesn't take much for wonderful people, for nice people, to, to turn on other nice people and do terrible things to them. It happened in Nazi Germany. It happened in Jim Crow, USA. It happened in apartheid South America. It happened in the genocides of Cambodia, and Rwanda, and Bosnia. It happened in Jerusalem. When a bunch of really nice people, good religious people, went to synagogue, went to the temple every week. But perfect and beautiful and pure and true and divine and demanded Pilate crucify him. Brothers and sisters, those were our fathers and mothers. And we're no different from them. And the scary thing is when we start protesting and think, oh, you know, we pull out the, the hem of our skirt in and feel all offended. I could never, I would never do that. I would never demand somebody's blood. Do you know that that is the kind of, of, of blind ignorance and um, partiality that actually results in terrible things happening to people? When we separate ourselves from people who would do those things, we're saying we're not like them, we're different from them. That leads us to treat them differently. So we're no different. Um, I love what John Stott said. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, redeeming us, giving us an inheritance, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. So really, the gospel, before we can, can understand its benefits, we have to come to grips with what my deadly sin nature, what, what its capacity is, what, what my capacity for violence is, what my capacity for hatred is, what my capacity for bloodlust is. It's a part of our human nature. And it's why we need a savior. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the wonderful and the terrible. We all need the same savior. We all need his blood upon us. Do you know that you need his blood upon you? Do you know you, that you need the benefits of his death upon you? And if you don't, if you think that's for somebody else, you're lost. It's those who, like the old hymns say, I, I need to, to be plunged beneath that flood, the fountain filled with blood. I need all my guilty stains removed. You're the beneficiary. Not because of anything you've done, except cry out for help. Jesus has done it all. Are any of you blood donors? Uh, I'm a blood donor. I don't, I don't do it a lot, as much as I want, but, uh, but they like it when I come in. Uh, they like it first because, whoop, and we're good. Uh, they also love it because I am O positive. So O-positive people can, um, my, my blood's good for 80% of the population. I just can't, my blood can't go to somebody who's uh, got negative blood type. I can't give my blood to negative people. 
So. <laughs> but if you are O negative, you are 7% of, of, of the human race and you are a universal donor. Your blood's better than mine. How about that? And that's why when you're in the ER and you're bleeding out and they don't have time to test your blood type, they reach for the O, o negative because that's universal and that will save your life. That blood will save you temporarily. But there's a better blood that can save the entire human race when it is not just put on you, but in you. Through the Holy Spirit, the benefits of the blood of Christ, which is the better blood, the best blood. So all of those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to that and leading us to, to this point where we need to come to grips. I need that blood. I want to be washed in the blood. It's no longer a weird hymn title or a movie marquee. It becomes the realization that the application of that death belongs to me and everybody else needs that blood too. My neighbors need that blood and the nations need that blood. And you want to be careful how you communicate it to them. You need to be washed in the blood of the lamb and they're going to run from you. Maybe we could say, do you know that you need the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross? The benefits of his empty tomb? I need that. The world needs that. Because that's how we stand in Revelation 7. When John sees this, this crowd before the throne and the elders address me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? Where have they come from? And I said to him, I don't know. And he said to me, these are the ones who made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let me pray. Lord, we need these white robes. We need to be washed in your blood. We need the benefits of your redeeming death. We need the benefits of your death, which enabled and enacted this inheritance, this will that would be put into place, this covenant, where your riches are given to us completely by your grace, through your generosity to us who were, 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 were bankrupt and guilty, who indeed deserved death. And so, Lord, humble us and and help us rejoice and give us glad hearts and help us to celebrate and have hope in the future that we would not fear when you return to judge, but instead would be eager for you to return, that we would see your new creation, that we would know a sinless new heaven and new earth where we would celebrate your presence, our inheritance, our God who is for us. In your name we pray, amen.